Good morning. Good morning. Do we have fun or what? It is such a blast here. We have the most fun ever, I think. This is worth getting up for on a Sunday morning, right? Even after you've had a crazy Saturday and everything and you says, no, I don't want to get up. That it's worth it when you get to see and be with family and it's such a wonderful, wonderful time. So thank you so much. I am excited about big Bible stories. I was, I was had in my notes, I was going to say, yeah, we learned about David and... Um, and I said, what were our points, honey? And, and, and he said, you sat in three services, really? You can't remember any of the points? So you'll get a quiz. I'll have to give you an actual quiz, see if you can remember after you have to sit through three, right? No. But we are having so much fun as we were talking a few weeks ago about the, the, the different stories that we're going to cover over the next few weeks. And uh, when I heard they were, uh, we were doing Esther, I said, um, oh, well, I have to do Esther, right? And then I stopped and said, what did I just say out loud? Why did I open my big mouth? I could have just enjoyed the service and had a wonderful time, but I so love the story of Esther that I really was hoping to get to share and be a part of that this morning. So it is, it is a great, incredible story. It's inspiring to us all as we remember that God places us somewhere because he has a special plan and a purpose for our lives, and that's the beauty of the story in this moment. You know, I was laughing as I think about these Bible stories because I was raised in the 80s by a single mom, and I was kind of that hyper kid, if you could imagine, and, uh, and so I had talked a lot, a lot, and so we didn't have a, a video games for me to play with. In fact, I don't think I saw my first Commodore 64 until I was in middle school, and that was only because I got to go to somebody's house that had a lot of money. Does anybody know what a Commodore 64 is? It's been a while. Only a few of you. Come on, guys. Atari? Maybe? Hello? Okay, there we go. We got the Atari. But that was crazy. So all I had was either pen and paper, which was no fun, until my mom figured out that she could give me a cassette recorder. And if she could give me a cassette recorder and a blank tape, I could stay entertained for hours because I would talk to myself as an only child. That's the only friend you have, right? And then you just listen to yourself. It was very entertaining. The other thing we had was those audio books. I'm not talking about the kind that you get like online, but where you have the book that goes with the story and it would ding when you turn the page. Do you remember that? Ding! And then it's time to turn the page. And, and so I had Esther, like we're going to talk about today, and Daniel in the lion's den. But I think one of my particular favorites must have been Samson and Delilah because my mom said she woke up one night, I was about five or six years old, and she heard me in my room screaming, let me die with the Philistines. And as I proceeded to quote the whole Samson story in my sleep, and then went back to bed. So Bible stories were my friend in the days before I had any friends. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. Okay, so, but today we're going to talk about Esther, which is such a very special story. And Esther was positioned to save. Say that with me. Positioned to save. Positioned to save. Say it again. Positioned to save. And in the same way, God has placed you just in a special place in your life for the same way. Say, I am positioned to save. One more time. I am positioned to save. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness. We thank you for your hand on our lives through everything that we go through. And Lord, we thank you for big Bible stories. We thank you for stories in the Bible of imperfect people who allowed themselves to be used by a perfect God and saw great things happen, Father. We ask that you would open our hearts in this moment to learn from your word. In your name we pray, amen. Well, if you've ever heard me speak before, you know I'm a little bit of a nerd, okay, a lot of a nerd, and I love 
love to talk about a little bit of history and the stories. If you're a teacher in this room, especially a history teacher, the amazing thing about biblical stories is you can actually trace them back to where in, in what we would call secular history they fit. So when you, read sto- when you are taught in school about the Persian Empire and you talk about King Cyrus and Darius and Xerxes and Artaxerxes, remember all that's too, far, too long ago, right? All of those kings were also in the Bible. And many of the heroes and heroines that we know existed during that time. And that's the case with this story. You have a time of the Persian Empire which ruled the known world. And during that time, the Jews were in Israel. And a king called Nebuchadnezzar, ever heard of him? took the Jews captive and took them back to his palace and his empire. And we know a man named Daniel, remember? Daniel and the lions. He was under that king, King Nebuchadnezzar, and served under other kings after that. Years later, we have a king named Xerxes that is to power, and that's the king in rule when Esther comes about and when we hear about her story. Now, Xerxes was not necessarily known for being a kind man. In fact, quite the opposite. He was very egotistical. He was very um, decisive and brazen in his leadership. Um, If he didn't like you, he impaled you on a pole for everyone to see. It was crystal clear that you did not cross this king. He's very aggressive in his his fighting and his armies and his conquering, and he was feared all around the known world. So think about anyone that's a powerful leader that we know in our world, and imagine if that person ruled the whole known world. This is a very, very powerful man. No one ever told him no, and he always got what he wanted. One thing he liked to do to display his power is throw parties really big parties. And so as we cover the 10 chapters of Esther, I'm going to kind of give you the highlights because we obviously don't have time to read all 10. But we see Esther starting with a big party of King Xerxes. He's having a party that lasts days. His queen, Queen Vashti, is having a party also that's having, she's having girls night, he's having guys night. They're just having a big old time until it all of a sudden turns into a discussion of whose wife's prettier than others and all that kind of thing. And, and King Xerxes decides that he's going to put his wife on display in front of a bunch of drunk men. And uh, for whatever reason, either because she's having ladies' night and just doesn't want to come, or because of her self-respect, she tells him no. And he's not real happy about that, if you could imagine. And so King Xerxes says, if you won't come, you won't be queen. And that's the last we hear of Queen Vashti in the Persian Empire. And she's no longer Persia, also known as Babylon, as we hear of it. So Xerxes is feeling really proud of himself until he realizes now he doesn't have a queen. And he doesn't really enjoy that. So I guess he must have been moping around the palace or something. Because his advisors come to him and say, King, this is not okay. You need a queen. We have an idea. There's this new show. It's called Babylonian Bachelor. And we think we've got a plan, right? We will get every young, beautiful maiden in the kingdom. We'll get them all gussied up. We'll take a whole year making them the most perfect lady that they can be. And you will get your choice of ladies. Now, for the ladies, I'm not sure they got the great end of the deal. They were taken from their families in captivity. Yes, they were lavished upon. But only one would become queen. The rest would spend one night with a tyrant and a dictator that she didn't know, and the rest of her life 
in a different part of the palace with the rest of the ladies that weren't chosen. Never to marry, no freedom whatsoever. So it's not necessarily a glamorous life in store for these ladies. But nonetheless, for some women, especially the the ones that, that were chosen, this was an hope and an opportunity. One young lady we know of is a Jewish lady, a Jewish young lady, her name is Esther obviously the title of of our story today. Esther was an orphan raised by her older cousin, whose name was Mordecai. Mordecai was a righteous man. He was a Jew, and he worked there in the palace, and he was very well respected. Mordecai instructs Esther, I think this is a good potential opportunity, and you need to do it. And in Esther's personality, she, she listens to her authority and goes there. The minute she gets there, she finds favor favor with the people in charge. She gets extra special attention. And, um, and the Bible says that she was uh, beautiful, that she had a good figure and was beautiful. You know you must have a good figure if the Bible says you have a good figure, right? If the, if the number one best-selling book in the history of the world says you got a good figure, girl, you got it going on. She has a good figure. So that met, matched with her personality, always catapulted Esther to the front of the class. So her year comes, she meets the king, and he is smitten. In her time with her, his time with her, he makes her his queen, and then, of course, throws a party, as this king seems to do, party after party. Esther's life changes in a moment. She becomes an, an orphaned Jewish girl to queen of the known world, but she keeps her Jewish roots a secret. She holds it in. She holds everything close, close to her, holds her cards close, so to speak. For five years, everything is wonderful. Life is great. Everything is as she could have ever dreamed until a man named Haman comes on the scene. Haman is one of the nobles in, uh, in King Xerxes' empire, but he rises to power to become that top person. Have you ever had that season in your life where all of a sudden everything in your world changed because somebody shows up at the office who starts to mess everything up, or you get that teacher, right? And you think, this person's going to ruin my world. Yeah, that's Haman, except Haman just didn't, didn't dislike one person or two people. Haman disliked an entire race of people. Haman hated the Jews. Haman hated the Jews so much in his heart that began to plot how he could use his influence and power to annihilate a whole nation of people, not just in the city they were in, but all over the known world. He wanted to see them annihilated. And that's where we see when we pick up in Esther chapter 3 in verse 8. So Haman decides that he's going to take his personal hatred and try to convince the king to, uh, to act. It says, then Haman said to King Xerxes, there is a certain people dispersed and scattered among the peoples in all the providences of your kingdom whose customs are different from those of all other people and who do not obey the king's law. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will put 10,000 talents of silver into the royal treasury for the men who carry out this business. He knew he was dealing with a shrewd man, and he said, I will pay you, and I will eliminate a problem. You don't even have to know what it is. He deceived the king in that moment, and the king gave him his ring, gave him his authority, and said, let it be so. The problem was that was all based on, on lies in that moment. And so thus began a process that could potentially wipe out the Jewish nation. This news reaches the Jews in the city, and especially Mordecai, this righteous man who is the cousin of Esther. Mordecai begins to tear his clothes, and he begins to weep, and he begins to mourn, which comes to the attention of Esther. And Esther's like, what are you doing? You're embarrassing me. Put your clothes on, for goodness sake. This is not okay. Don't you know I'm related to you? This is not okay. And Mordecai says, there is a problem that you 
must be aware of. He sends back word to Esther, and he tells her what's going on. Esther has spent five years in clueless bliss. She lives in the palace. Everyone waits on her, on her hand and foot. She is completely separated at this point from what's going on in the real world. And, and, and many times that can feel like a wonderful time in our lives when we're just oblivious and wonderful, but then sometimes reality comes to our world, and the Lord says, I need you. I need you now. There's something happening in the world, and you need to take a stand. And that's what Esther was confronted with. And, 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 and you see this internal battle in Esther, like, I'll be fine. I'm, I'm near the king. No one's going to hurt me here. And Mordecai says this to her. He says this in Esther 4.14. He says, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come into your royal position for such a time as this. You know, we paraphrase Esther. I'm thrilled that you're not a little orphan anymore. I'm thrilled that everything's working out great in your life. But, but sweet girl, don't think for a moment that this is on, you're only here just for you. And don't think for a moment that you got here by yourself. He's playing the whole uncle card, you know, the whole dad card, like, oh, uh-uh, I put you here, I can take you out kind of thing. He said, don't forget the people that have, that have poured into you, that have made you who you are and brought you to this place. And don't forget the God that has set you here and the obligation you have to people to save. We can get so caught up in the seasons of our life when everything's growing great that we forget that there's a need right around us many times. We show up for work and sometimes it's all about whatever I've got to get done, right? I'm just in my vein. I've got to get it done. I've got to get it done. And sometimes I don't even see the need right around me. And, And maybe the pain in someone's heart or maybe the the people that need us to be there for them in that moment. And that's what Esther's confronted with. And Esther says, you don't get it. Nobody goes to the king. This is the most powerful man in the world. I don't just walk in and say, hey, I need to talk to you about something. You do that, you're dead. You're gone. Guards had instructions. You don't even let them speak. You just kill them because, because, uh, to, to prevent assassination attempts. And that's when Mordecai says, if it's not going to be you, It's got to be somebody, but you were put here for this moment. So Esther does what Esther does so well. She doesn't go running into the king and say, I have to talk to you right now. She doesn't hire someone to have this Haman guy assassinated because that doesn't really fix the problem. A decree from the king has gone out, and if it's not stopped, a whole nation gets wiped out. Esther does what Esther does well. She prepares. She plans. I love those personalities that are the plotter planner personality. I'm not good at that. I want to act right now. I want it fixed. I can't, I have to, I have to do it. But every, but, but that beautiful plotter planner personality, you know, they're going to like, no, we're going to wait and get this done. So she calls a fast. She calls her friends and her, her handmaidens in and says, we're going to fast. We're going to pray. And, and we're going to prepare ourselves for this moment in destiny and for this moment. And so, and that's what happens. She, um, in Esther 5 verse 1, it says this, on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace. Translated, Esther looked good. Esther was like, if I'm going to see my king, he's going to notice me, right? So she put on her royal robes, and she stood right just outside. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall, facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. That was the, that was the point where she knew, you will not die. You will live in this moment. 
Now, again, if it were me, I would have then blurted out everything I needed. We can get this done right now. I need your help. Let's get this. But not Esther. Esther knew how to pace herself. He said, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given you. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king, together with Haman, that's the bad guy, remember, come to a banquet today that I have prepared for him. You know, what I love about Esther is Esther knew in that moment, who am I and what am I supposed to do? What, what are the tools that's been given me? In the same way that David didn't say, I'll take Saul's armor, give me five smooth stones. Five smooth stones were his way of handling a giant. And Esther knew, this is my way. What have I been doing for five years? I've been holding banquets. I've been hosting. This is my sweet spot, so to speak. When we get in these moments, sometimes we feel like we have to do it somebody else's way. But Esther knew, I'm going to do it my way, right how. And she also knew, as every good Southern woman know, if you're going to drop a bomb on your husband, he better have a full stomach, right? You got to let, you got to feed him first before you tell him what's up. I've at least learned that much, you know. You need anything, eat first. We'll talk later. (laughs) So she calls a banquet, and because we're in Persia, what does she have? Of course, hummus, grape leaves, baba ganoush, tzatziki, yeah, shawarma, all that wonderful garlic. Our whole family ate garlic yesterday, so you didn't want to be anywhere in our house all day yesterday. There was garlic everywhere. It was wonderful. We loved it. So she has this feast, and while they're finishing their last serving of baklava, she says, the king says, what is it? I've been waiting hours. Tell me. No one keeps me waiting. What do you want? I'll give you up to half the kingdom. What does she say? Come back tomorrow night and eat again. And so Haman leaves just proud as a peacock. He brags to all his friends, the queen just had me over for dinner. I'm the queen's favorite. Did you know that? Little did he know, right? She was plotting and planning. So the next night comes, and this time she really lays out a spread. She's going with the etouffee, the sauce piquant, right? We got some shrimp and grits going in there. I think we're all going to Papado afterwards. And, uh, And as right as they're finishing up, the king finally says, I can't handle this enough. What do you want, Queen Esther? Up to half of this kingdom, I'll give you 49% of anything I have. What do you want? And she says this. The queen answers in Esther chapter 7, verse 3. If I have found favor with you, O king, was the food good, king? You like it? Good. You want to keep eating? Okay, good. And if it pleases your majesty, grant me life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. She simply says, can I live? And the king says, live? What do you mean live? Who would kill you? You're my queen. Who would do this thing? The king is enraged. In verse 5, King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he all killing? Where is this guy? Where is this man that would dare harm you? And Queen Esther says, it's Haman, the evil Haman, who just sat here eating my food. Xerxes is so enraged, he actually leaves the room. But when he comes back, he acts swiftly, impaling Haman on a pole for all to see and and creating another decree that not only saves the whole Jewish nation, but empowers the Jews to defend themselves against their, their attackers. This is a pivotal moment in the life of the Jewish nation that one young lady knew who she was in that moment and spoke up for a group of people that she didn't even know. She didn't know the Jews, the thousands and thousands of people whose lives she saved right there in that moment. But Esther knew, I'm here for this moment and this time, and I must act. I cannot delay in that. And as a result, 
a nation was saved and a nation was changed. The beautiful thing about this, just to get a little more nerdy, is the very next king is the king that under which Ezra and Nehemiah serve. And when you read Ezra and Nehemiah, these are the, the men that lead a, an expedition to rebuild the wall and to rebuild the temple. And, and this was the son of Xerxes who empowers them and funds the Jewish nation now to not only save them, but to rebuild God, the temple of the Jewish nation. And that's the, the beauty of what this one young lady could do in her act of courage, that you see generations and generations that have changed as a result of that. And it's just fascinating to me to think about that. I don't know if it's because we laugh because we're only children that you think one person can make a difference, but they really can. One act, one day, changes a person's life. And you may say, well, well, that's obviously, she knew she was in this pivotal moment in, in the, the whole world. And if I was in that big of a deal, but you don't understand, I don't live this exotic royal life. I just do what I do each and every day. There's nothing significant. There's nothing life-shattering about the world I do. But wherever you are in that moment, God has opportunities for you to change someone's life. In their world, you can make a complete difference simply by one act of courage like we talked about last week, right? So there's things we can learn from Queen Esther. And that's the things that I really hope that you can take away from, from today and from this sermon. The first thing I want you to know is you were divinely designed. So many times we think, okay, okay, I'll do it. I'm brave enough to want to do something something special, but then I can't do that unless I'm like this person. I can't do that if I don't have this strength or I don't have this skill set or I'm just not like that person. That is a lie from the pit of hell that you have to say no to. You were divinely designed to be exactly who you need to be for exactly what God needs in this season and in this moment, no matter what brought you here. Even the, the, the parts of your world that have been, the things that have happened, the life tragedies of life, have made you into exactly who you are in this moment. They've made you strong, they've made you tough, and they've equipped you to be exactly the person that you need to be in that moment. Esther was not only beautiful, which got her noticed, but she was a systematic person. She wasn't allowed... Uh, a brazen person. She was a plotter and a planner and a thinker, and she had hospitality. She just loved to host and serve, but it opened doors and it opened hearts for her to get to be exactly where she needed to be and who she needed to be in that moment. And that's the thing we have to catch. We get so caught up many times in what we're not that we don't focus that we're exactly who we need to be. Um, Now Discover Your Strengths by Marcus Buckingham says, if you only focus on your weaknesses, you only become a little bit better. Than, and, and just barely mediocre. But if you focus on your strengths, you can become that unique person. And I would insert that unique person that God's called you to be, that you need to be in this moment. You know, I have a real special friend. She's kind of a hero to me that I, I, I asked her if it was a permission if I share her story. And I may not get it exactly right, so she'll have to forgive me. But I have a dear friend. Her name is Miranda, and she um, is a leader in our community. Isn't she gorgeous? I have a picture there with us. But Miranda is an incredible lady in so many ways. And she reminds Reminds me of a modern day Esther. Uh, Miranda has always been a high achiever in everything that she did, always top of her class and, and everything. But at the end of her senior year, Miranda found herself making some, some pretty bad choices and she found herself pregnant at her senior year. And people around her being able to say, um, This is it, you've ruined it. You've ruined your life, can't go to college. Everything that you thought you were going to do, all your plans have to change now and everything. And Miranda um, in the Dallas Business Journal says, I did not believe that one bad choice shipwrecked my whole world. 
I chose to believe that I could overcome these obstacles. And so she began to go back to school one semester at a time, one semester until she got her degree. And then she began to lead and serve and, um, and, and run companies, which led her to the place where in, the end of, in 2009, she took over what used to be called, um, uh, I can't think now, Uptown, which is now Hillside Village. That's our big premier shopping area here in our city, 75 acres. Well, the other side of that story is Hillside came to our city right at the time of the economic downturn. And as a city, we were really hoping that it would be a big part of what we did. So Miranda not only took over a big project, but she took over a big project in one of the hardest times it was to run a retail area. She, was, she had the deck stacked against her. But what I love about Miranda is she played to her strengths. Miranda's diligent and hardworking. She's like, I'm going to be me in this, and I'm going to hold a high standard. She holds a high standard for herself, and if you're ever at Hillside Village, you know there's a high standard. No sagging, no dragging, right? She's, she keeps that standard high, and it's always a safe and a wonderful place to be. And so that all comes back to, although she'd never tell you, the leadership of this amazing lady and the impact that she's had on the economic value of our whole region comes from the diligence of one person. And in addition to that, um, uh, Miranda has poured back into women. She mentors young women in our city. She holds a standard of excellence that young women can say, that's what I should be. That's what I want to be. And I'm so grateful and proud of her that she's a modern-day Esther in that moment. But what I love about Miranda is she knows who she is. This is how I'm designed. This is my sweet spot, and I'm going to walk in it. And when we can all find that place, we now don't live worried that we're not someone else. I used to spend so much time trying to be somebody else's pastor's wife, right? And that, like that, I'm not like that. I'm not good at that. This is who I am. And, it, and I tell everybody, it's like a mama of the house. You get one of them, wherever she is, she's the mama, right? And that's the important thing, though. You can walk in that. You are the mom of your family, moms. Well, I'm not as good as this one, and I don't do this like this one, and I do this. No, you are the perfect mom that God ordained for your children. You are in the season that you need to be in for each one of us. Well, I used to be, I used to be CEO of a company, and now I'm, I'm down at the bottom starting all over again. You're exactly where you need to be. You're divinely designed and who you are in that moment. Amen? And know that. Know that he made you exactly the way you are. The Lord is proud of you. He's proud of who he made you to be. And when you dial into that, you'll find yourself in a contentment and understanding the purpose of where you have today. The second thing I want to encourage you to do is to take your eyes off of your adversary and put them on your king. You notice that Esther didn't address Haman in the room because Haman was not the power player. Haman was not the decision maker. Haman was the problem. And we spend so much time focusing on our problem, obsessing on our problem. Maybe you don't do that, but I am terrible at it. Just to be real, I, I like to problem solve. So when something bothers me, everyone knows it, and I obsess over it. Um, the other day, we were all laughing because as I drive in the building, there's a little bit of mildew on the outside of the building. You can go look for it if you want. But, um, but so every time I pull in, every morning, the mildew's still there. The mildew's still there. We haven't fixed the mildew. I'm going to get up on a ladder and fix that mildew. The mildew's still there. And everybody's like, can you stop worrying about the mildew? It's not that important because I tend to obsess. Does anybody else do that? Does anybody pick? Is it just me? Okay, thank you. Pick that thing, and it's like, all of a sudden, that is huge in our world, and we can't even see all the other wonderful things. Esther knew, I'm in the presence of the king of the known world. I, am, I have an opportunity in a moment, and we have to take our eyes off 
of the adversarial part of our world and fix our eyes on the solution provider, on the one that can make that happen. And, and so many times even we then pick, it's a person. It's this person. If this person will get out of our lives, everything gets better, right? You know what? That's not true. I loved how Pastor Chris Estrada said a few weeks ago, and I'll paraphrase because I don't remember how he said it exactly, but he said, you will never shake hands with your enemy, your true enemy. Because guess what? We don't fight flesh and blood. Your enemy is not a person. But so many times we can fixate on that. And this person is my problem. When they came in, da-da-da, this all happened. No, our adversary is the devil. We fight against, we do not fight against flesh and blood. We fight in spiritual warfare. So when you're feeling that adversity come, take it to the Lord. You do that battle in the heavenlies. And you let the king of kings deal with it. And he decrees that we are overcomers and that we are conquerors. And, And it's just... I, as, I, as I was thinking about this story uh, months ago, I was just, just stewing and just wrestling in my head over and over and over again. And I was on the road uh, at the stop sign near the, the roller rink over there in Cedar Hill, downtown Cedar Hill. And I just stewing and stewing and stewing. And, and I felt like the Lord said, Jamie, Jamie, Esther. And I'm like, yeah, Esther, yeah. See, she had an adversary too. I told you, this is right. And, and, and I felt like the Lord said, Jamie, who won? And I was like, oh, yeah. Esther won. And he goes, yeah, it's under control. I need you to stop worrying about it. And so every time I read the story of Esther, I remember the Lord has it under control. If I will stand in what the tools he's given me, the role he's given me, he takes care of the rest. Amen? We take our eyes off of that. And the third thing I want you to remember is that you were positioned to save. Like we said it before, you were positioned to save. You are called and anointed, and equipped, the Lord will not give you a task that he intends for you to fail at. When he puts that in your heart, and he puts that dream in your heart, he has given you what you need to succeed in that moment, and and he's, he's made you to be that person. Those are the tools that you have in your hand. Just like he told Moses, what's in your hand right now? You have that, and not only do you have that in who you are, this place in this moment is exactly where the Lord wants you to be. You know, um, Pastor Adam and I were talking about that when you get in those seasons of discontentment, I don't like this season I'm in, I don't like this season I'm in, you totally forfeit what God's trying to do in that moment, in that season. If, we're, if God has you in a season of being single, what do you have for me in this moment, in this season right now, Lord? And live in that moment exactly where it is and let be all that you can be in that moment. And, and, and if you're in a season where you're just home right now and you're just loving life, be in that moment and be everything God needs you to be. If you're in the mail room where you used to be in the corner office up high, every piece of mail you get, speak to it, pray over it and say, Lord, there's purpose in exactly where I am right here and right now. And when we show up on Monday morning, wherever we go, and we know, God, you've placed me here because someone needs to be saved. We use that as such a cliche term, but think about it. Their world needs the light of Jesus. Their hearts, their families, they need to know that God has a plan for them. God has a purpose for them and that they don't have to drown in the, the, the depression and the things that they're, that they're dealing with. We can walk in every morning with purpose and knowing as Esther did, I am here for a purpose and for such a time as this. The Lord put you there. The Lord put you in that class he put you in. He put you in that, that job he did. 
exactly for the moments and what he has for you. When we understand that, every perspective changes in what we're doing. And when we say, Lord, I believe that you've also given me the tools to be that person that he's called us to be in that moment. You know, one of my uh, favorite presidents, as everybody may know, is Ronald Reagan. I love Ronald Reagan. He was president a long time ago, if y'all don't know. But uh, Ronald Reagan, only 69 um, days into his presidency, was, the, was shot. Um, and the bullet came within one inch of his heart. He was almost assassinated. In that moment, it says this. I quote from, uh, uh, from his foundation. It says, a single bullet nearly took the life which nearly took the life of one of America's greatest presidents, altered the course of history forever. Believing that his life was spared for a reason, President Reagan wrote in his autobiography, perhaps having come, having come so close to death made me feel I should do whatever I could in the years God had given me to reduce the threat of nuclear war. You know, we hear the term nuclear war now, and everybody's like, nuclear war? I mean, my kids and I were talking about the Cold War, and they were like, Cold War? with their guns, we don't understand. But, but in that season, in that moment, Reagan understood, I have authority, I've been ordained for this moment, and I can make a difference that changes the fate of the whole world as we know it. And so that bullet that spared his, that his life was spared, but it changed her trajectory that said, I must use this time. The time we have with our children and parents while they're still at home, we have to use that time to instill in them. When you're with those grandbabies, every one of those moments is a precious, precious time to instill in them who they are. The same things Mordecai would have said to Esther, who you, speaking to her about who she was, calling out that, that uh, character in her life that we saw over and over and over again. It's those precious moments that we have to instill in other people's lives so that we can see them understand what God has for them. Amen? Amen. Join me in prayer, if you will. Just stand as we pray. Thank you, Father. Lord, we thank you for great stories in the Bible like Esther. Lord, we're imperfect people, Father, understood that they rested in the hand of a perfect God, that they understood their times and seasons and knew that they were placed in that moment and in that place for such a time as this. Father, wherever we go, Father, as we get up Monday morning and we take a step back into our daily life, Lord, remind us that we were placed in this moment for such a time as this. Lord, remind us that we were divinely designed so that we don't have to fear that we're not equipped, that we're not who we're supposed to be, but that you've made us who we are and you've made us who we can be. Lord, help us to, to spend time with you and commune with you so we can know more and more the creator who, who made us who we are. And Father, thank you, Lord, that we fix our eyes on you. You are the solution provider, the author and the finisher, so that, Father, we can reach, Father, into a world of hurting people who need to know that there is a solution, there is an answer, and there is a way, Father. We give you praise for this, Lord. Would you thank just keep you, your head bowed for just a moment? I want to minister to anyone in this room that maybe would say, you know what? <clears throat> talking about one person who can save many lives but the truth of the matter is your life is not saved yet maybe you used to serve Jesus back in the day and you've walked away from him life happens you know and you look up and you don't have a relationship anymore maybe you've never been a Christian friend I want you to understand something we sing about that cross and the beauty of Jesus raising from the dead the reason that is is because humanity sinned against God and when we did, it destined, we destined ourselves to an eternal life of separation from him and total darkness. And the Bible calls it about the fire that will be in that, that place of separation, of destruction and torment. 
God never intended for his people to go there. He never intended for humanity to be there. That was reserved for Satan and all the fallen demonic angels. Oh, but when we rebelled against him in the garden, humanity did. It destined all the children and great-grandchildren and great-great-great-great of Adam and Eve. But God, who so loved the world, he came up with a plan. He sent his only son to die on that cross. And what that did was that bridged that gap, that chasm between us and God. That cross is like that bridge laid across it. And we can come to God now, but through the blood of Jesus and what he, what he, what he did for us. And, and it's forgiven. He paid it for. We said, well, what's my part in this whole thing? The Bible's real clear. It says, if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you're away from God today, if you're, if, if you're not sure if you died today, if you'd go to heaven, for not, I tell you, I got good news for you. You don't have to leave here like that. You don't have to be ashamed of, of your own sin. We're all sinners. We're everyone in this room, sinners. But grace, and we've fallen on that grace, and we've accepted Jesus. And friend, this is your moment. You know, if I was at a party with you, my best friend Jesus was sitting over in the corner, I would walk over to him, start talking to him, and then I would grab your hand, and I would introduce you to my best friend Jesus. And then you would start a relationship. And, of course, my prayer would be that you would become best friends. For he is the Savior. Today I want to do that. I want to take your hand. And I want to put it in the hand of the Savior. I want to introduce you today. With no one looking around. If you're away from Jesus. If you died today, you're not sure you would go to heaven. Don't live like that another moment. Let us come before the Lord and ask him to change our lives and forgive us of our sins. I promise you today we won't embarrass you. We won't humiliate you. But we do have to make a decision. With no one looking around, if today God is tugging at your heart, saying this is the day to come back to the Lord, this is the day the day to make a decision to become a Christian. With no one looking around, if you feel that and it's time, you're ready, I want to pray with you. Would you just throw your hand up say, that's me, Pastor. I'm ready to serve the Lord. I want you to pray with me. I won't embarrass you. Thank you, sir. I won't humiliate you. We're going to pray. I'm not going to call you forward. You and I are going to pray together, but you're going to pray right there in your seat. Anyone else? Pray for me, Pastor. Give you just a couple seconds. You say, man, I'm away from the Lord. I don't want to live like this anymore. Is there anyone else? Say, Quickly throw up your hands. Say, pray for me. It's time. I'm ready to change. Friend, I, God bless you. I don't want you. God bless you. I, I don't want you to leave here. I don't, I don't want a tragic moment to steal your eternity. This is your moment. Don't push the Lord away while he's dealing with your heart. Respond quickly. Okay, yeah, I see that other hand. There's been another hand. God bless you. Thank you, sweet love. Thank you for your honesty. A few more seconds. Anyone else? Amen. Amen. Put your hands down. Those of you who lifted your hand, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of repentance. Right where you stand, I want you to mean it with all of your heart. In fact, I'd like the congregation as a whole. Let's just pray this out loud with our friends who lifted their hands. Say it like this. Say, Jesus. Come on, do it again. Jesus, today, I admit I'm a sinner. I admit my shamefulness, but I ask you now to forgive me. I ask you to cleanse me of my unrighteousness. I accept what you did on the cross for my sin and I declare here and now that you are my Lord fill me with your Holy Spirit write my name in your book of life and I promise to serve you all the days of my life in Jesus name keep your head bowed for a moment Father I pray for every man and woman who said that prayer maybe for the first time who accepted you as Lord and Savior who grabbed your hand and pulled you close and you pulled them close Lord in this holy spiritual moment that Lord God all the angels are going crazy in heaven the Bible says because one sinner has turned back to God Father I pray right now that the peace of God would come upon them like a blanket on a cold winter day that they would feel that they have been forgiven they don't have to think about you. oh how am I going to change this and how am I going to fix this divorce 
divorce that I went through and I still got this habit of drugs. How am I? Lord, I thank you. They're not going to worry about all that because you are now their God. And you will carry them across every torrent waters. Lord God, you will carry them up every mountain. And they're not alone. For now, you are the Lord of their life. And may they feel and sense your love right here, right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.